Okay, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Everyone's doing well. Another week, another opportunity. This is a huge week for um, for the Jewish people. If you're watching, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, doesn't matter. Just sharing with you my life. This is the week, the last week of our year. This is the final week before the new year, before Rosh Hashanah kicks in. What a great time to get a little bit better. What a great time to focus a little bit stronger about our lives. Fall is coming. For those of you who are East Coast, Northeast Coast, you can feel the temperature dip. It's a great time of year. We've been talking a lot about this concept of extreme ownership, of not shirking responsibility, of being bigger, of not allowing the inputs of the world to throw us. This is a critical piece to all this, is that we have to maintain a certain level of peace of mind, of control of feelings, regardless of what goes around us. And this is really difficult, but this is the fights of life. A lot of times in life, we don't engage in things that are very difficult because it's too hard. I do this all the time. I'm constantly losing at this battle because so many times I sit at my desk to start my day and I know the big things that I have to do, but instead I get lost in like answering an email and answering a WhatsApp and then speaking to this person and get, I get lost in the littler things because the littler things are sort of easier to grapple with. But I know I've got a couple of really big things to do and it's a complex game that I know I can't even accomplish in just one day. So I am naturally inclined to not engage in them. This is one of those things. Being constantly at a level of peace of mind, regardless of the circumstances around us, is a lifelong struggle, but that's the struggle of life. You hit that, think about what else happens. If you get 20% better in that game, think about what that means for the rest of your life. Think about what that means for how you parent and how you're a spouse and how you work and how you live and how you sleep and how you eat. Like just think about your life if you can get 20% better at always maintaining control of feelings. And the pathway of doing that begins in the world of extreme ownership because as, soon, as long as somebody else is in charge of me, but God, as long as somebody physically is in charge of me and can control my feelings, then I am by definition in that particular area subject to how they are. If I come to work and if my boss is in control of me, then by, by virtue of the fact that I've ceded control of my emotions to that person, I now need that person to treat me properly for me to feel properly. So it seems as if I am, it seems as if I'm not fight, I'm worried about things that I can handle. But at the end of the day, my ability to succeed at work will determine much more on how I can control my feelings when my boss is in a bad mood than whether or not I get an email out today. This is the fight. And it begins through extreme ownership because I now have no choice but to figure it out. 
right? As long as I was saying the reason why I feel this way is because of somebody else, what am I going to do? It's one less thing to work on. It's, it's, it's one less thing to work on, so I don't have to do it. But at the end of the day, if I'm not working on it, I can never get better at it. So as long as I'm in a bad mood because my spouse says the wrong things to me, I'm having a great day. I'm having a great morning. My spouse may not be as positive as I am. My spouse may not be as spiritual as I am. My spouse may not be as sensitive as I am. So as long as I am allowing my spouse to, to, to control my feelings, I'm not working on an area. And so I'll never get better at that area. But if I tell myself that I'm responsible for my feelings and not my spouse, that initial statement may feel like it's unfair. It may feel like we're absolving them of responsibility when they also should be part of the responsibility. It may feel like we're losing because now I have to worry about it. Why can't they just step up? But we're actually gaining because by taking the responsibility over areas of our lives that we have now given to other people, yeah, it's harder. And yet in the beginning, it'll feel like that's not fair. And yet in the beginning, it'll feel like that's not how it's supposed to be. But by doing that, we will now get the insight to how I can maintain a certain level of happiness, even if my own spouse doesn't give me what I need. And while it may feel wrong in the beginning, because it's not the way it's supposed to work, and it may feel like they're getting away because usually when they treat me bad, I, I, give them the tr I give them the passive aggressive mad at you stuff, which, which rebalances the equilibrium, right? I want to make sure I, I, we can talk about that. That's why we get mad at people. Like, why do we get mad at people for? Why do we think that if someone does something wrong to me, that the way to get back at them is to be mad at them? Does that make any logical sense? Does it make any sense? You do something wrong to me and I'm paying you back by making me have more negative emotions? Does that make sense? Someone says to you, I don't like the way you did that thing. I don't like the way you look, talk. I disagree with you. I think whatever, okay? Now you're mad at them. You walk into a wedding and there's, hopefully one day we'll get back to this. There's people in a wedding not with masks on and six feet apart. Like with God's help, hopefully we'll be able to like be around human beings. Okay. Soon. I hope. Okay. You walk into a room and there's 500 people there. Let's say a large wedding and they're in the corner of the room. And then you feel bad. How's that for getting back at them? They said something to you. And you know how you get back at them? When you're in the room, you feel bad. So you pay them back by increasing negative energy in yourself. How does that help? People hold on grudges, thinking they're paying somebody back. Well, all they're doing is punishing themselves for something that someone else did. There are kids that are holding on to grudges from their parents. And by the way, some of them are correct, meaning they're, they're, their parents are wrong the way they treated them, let's say. These kids are struggling in their marriages. Their kids are struggling with their children. Not only because of the negative influence, but in addition because of the grudge. Because they can't be around there. They hold the grudge. Families, why? 
See, here's why, in my opinion. Because what a grudge do is it, 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 it restores the balance of justice. When someone does something wrong to you, right, you have to pay them back. That's, in your world, justice. It's an eye for an eye. You don't just get away with it. You did something. You can't just be scot-free. So if I can't take any repercussions, what at least I can do is when I'm around you, I can bring negativity towards you. And in some weird way, our minds are feel better that by me giving or seeing you in a negative light, now I've taken you in a regular light like I would did beforehand. And because you, you did something to hurt me, by me being negative towards you, it somehow restores in my mind a little bit of the balance of justice. That's why when someone apologizes to you, you ever notice this? And they're insincere, it doesn't matter, but when they're really sincere, you can forgive them. Why? Because it restores the balance. Now they feel bad. And if they feel bad, you felt bad, and now they feel bad, they're expressing the apology, and in your mind, now there's justice. They cause negativity, and they felt it on their own by feeling bad, and now the justice continues. And if they don't feel bad, what ends up happening is humans will feel bad against them to restore the balance. It's illogical, but we do it all the time. We maintain negativity to restore the justice so that people around us who hurt us feel bad. People do this all the time. It's incredible. You do have people that they can't even say. There are people right now that when you say the word Donald Trump, just say Donald Trump to them, negative. The guy doesn't know his, their name. They can't pick him out of a hat. They don't, they'll never get to, they'll never leave their, their little town. They'll never leave their city. They'll never leave their world which does not include politics at all. They'll never see him. They'll never be involved in a policy. They'll never go to Congress, nothing. They just watch videos and they hate him. So as a result, why do they hate, why do they, but why are they negative about it? Because they feel like he's done something or says something and they have to restore that. So they restore it by holding on to a grudge. Think about how crazy that is. That means there are people that have increased negativity in their lives to someone who doesn't even know they exist. Think about what that negativity does to their kids, their families. I know people like this. There are people in my extended family that if you say the word Donald Trump, they yell. Can you imagine? I know people like this. I'm related to them. Not directly, but extensively. You walk into a room and you say Donald Trump and they lose it. And you're like, are you out of your mind? Get control. I understand you may be pro or against Donald Trump. Go vote. But to increase negativity for so long? Why? So it's because we don't take responsibility for our feelings. It's not our problem. It's not our issue. And because it's not our issue, we're free to drop the grudge. We're, we're looking for justice. We assume that somebody else is responsible. And when they don't deliver on their responsibilities, there's an injustice that comes along with that, that brings the negativity that we have to rebalance. That's why you can sit with a family member and they don't deliver for you. You say this, and now you're upset with them. Why are you upset with them for? Why is 
why is the negativity that you're bringing up part of this? And the answer is because you are giving them, you're giving them a piece of your emotions. You're giving, you have delegated to them something that was really yours. They didn't deliver. And the way you feel about them is in the world of illogical justice. So now you feel negative because they didn't deliver for you. This is why we get into these incredible dramatic worlds. Because it stems from the concept of us being able to delegate out the responsibilities of the things that are the most important to us, which is our thoughts and our experiences. How do we deal with this? Hold on one second. I got my little buddy over here. Give me, stay with me. Sorry, my little man was at my door trying to check in when I'm done. How do we deal with this? So it begins with this idea of extreme ownership. Nobody's responsible for my thinking and no responsible for my experience except for me. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody is responsible for my experiences except for me. They may change my circumstance. They may give me something or not give me something. They may be there for me or not be there for me. When I say something to the person, I should maybe I should expect something in return. Those are all circumstantial. But how I feel every single day, what I think every single day belongs to me. And there is nobody in the world that can change that except for though except for me. That is not something that I am delegating to anybody, period. And that's gonna mean that there are things that I'm gonna have to take back that I once gave away. And it's gonna mean that I have to learn how to give without expecting anything in return. Yeah, so if I drop a gift off by a neighbor, and they don't say thank you, I'm going to have to learn how to start giving gifts without expecting a thank you. Because until I can teach myself how to exist in this world without letting anybody change my experience, I am not going to be in full control over the thing that is uniquely mine, which is the experience of my life. Period. Extreme ownership. That's a decision that you make in your life. And when you make it, it may take you a decade to fulfill it. It doesn't matter. You are on the road to freedom. That's your moment of freedom. It was when nothing in the world gets to your experience. You're sitting in traffic or you're flying down the highway. You're in control. You're not losing it. 
You're not losing it because you turn a corner and the Van Wick is bumper to bumper. You come home and somebody snaps, you're not losing it. You find out that you have to quarantine for 14 days because of somebody that you said hello to in a supermarket for five minutes, got tested positive, you're not losing it. And that becomes the domain that is uniquely ours. It is, we're going to have to, we have to build new muscles. We have to build new muscles. We've been so used to allowing circumstance to determine our experience. That now, if we're not, we're going to have to learn a whole new way. It's like, I don't know if you guys are sports fans or not, but if you've seen the documentary called The Last Dance, for the sports fans in the room, it's a must. ESPN did a documentary on Michael Jordan. They were like holding. And then the virus hit and all the sports got canceled. So ESPN sent out that documentary and everyone in the world that's a sports fan ended up watching it. And there's a great piece where Michael Jordan leaves basketball to play baseball. And you think like he just gets on like, no, it doesn't, you don't just roll into like a baseball diamond, right? They had to rework him out because baseball players have stronger bottoms. They're all legs, how they hit. It's all, and basketball players are all tops or backwards. Either way, the, the, the entire muscle re- regimen changes. So they speak about how it took like eight, nine months till they were able to get him to be a baseball player because he had to change his workouts. And then when he came back to basketball afterwards, it's new muscles. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about new muscles. People that grew up in a world where they have been relying on other people to make them feel a certain way, they're going to have to create new muscles. And those new muscles are going to enable them to live a much freer life. Now, how do we do this? And this will start this process tomorrow and this week. But there's something that's critical that you have to understand until now. What extreme ownership does when it comes to your experience is it's going to either make you or break you. This is the difference. And I want to end with this piece. When you see somebody working out, you see somebody at a gym, let's say, and really working out, not like just like, you know, going through the motions, they really break down to two types of people. There's one person who wants a result, but deep down thinks he can't do the workout. Like he just doesn't think he has the strength. That's why when the trainer goes doing five more, he's like, oh, I can't do five more. Lift this. He goes, I can't lift this. It's stemming from this inner belief of, I really don't have this ability. I want to get the results, but I'm really fighting with my trainer because I don't really think I have the strength to pull this off. There's another person who's working out and when he gets put against that wall, he knows or she knows deep down that their body is built to be this strong. It, you have to go through the motions. You have to like do the thing and micro tear, whatever. Like there's a process, push yourself and the, the last three have to kill and then there's rest and protein. Okay, whatever. You don't just like snap you. But there's this belief, this inner belief that is present in the mind of this person that my body can do this. And I got to push it because I, I, it's, it's, it's unlimited what I can do. 
they're, they're, they're both on the same line working out, but one person thinks he can't and is always crutching about it. And one person thinks he can. It, they're both feeling the same level of burn, but it's a totally different perspective. If you're going to engage in this type of work, you have to believe that you're, you're big enough for this. You have to believe in your core that you have this already. Just like the bodybuilder knows he has the strength already inside. He just needs to work it out and it'll come out. He has the muscle and potential in his system. He just needs to work out his muscles so they can tear and come back. But the ability is already there. Extreme ownership necessitates an inner belief that I can be this way. I was born to be this way. My experience was meant to be me. Ha'olam never bishvi, the world was created for me. My experience is I can, if I can do the work, get to a level where I'm always, as the famous Rabbi Nachman said, b'simcha tamit, I'm always happy. I'm always empowered. Circling back. That's the work. It's hard. Greatness is hard. And taking extreme, extreme ownership is exactly, exactly the theme of this month. Oh, yeah. When you walk into the high holidays with the I'm not enough stuff, it's very painful. When you walk into the holidays with the I am enough and I really could be more, I want to push myself. Extreme ownership, it's actually really empowering. You think that the God of the creator of the world believes in you. He'll push you, but he believes in you. Very empowering. All right, we'll talk about this. Have an awesome Sunday, everybody. Great weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. And with God's help, I can't wait to see you again tomorrow.